Welcome to the African Defence Review podcast. Today we're talking to Kristen Finsky, a journalist at South Africa's newspaper The Star. We'll be discussing the Central African Republic, where an ongoing humanitarian and security disaster has followed in the wake of the government's fall to Seleka rebel forces. Welcome to the studio, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. So, I mean, perhaps to start off, can you talk a little bit about the background to your visit to the Central African Republic? What is the state of the country at the moment? Um, at the moment, it's sort of looking, um, Francois Hollande described it as a normalization of the country, sort of a power vacuum that's um, being created in the wake of the coup that happened in March. Uh, the background for the start specifically was that in March, when the Seneca rebels moved into the capital. It was a group of South African soldiers who stood up to defend the capital, sent there for questionable regions, uh, reasons, and about 15 of them were killed. So you started off your visit to the capital, Bangui. Um, did you get much of an impression as to what had happened after the rebels seized power in the capital? What has become of the city since? Right after the coup, there was a total vacuum of power in the capital, an absolute chaos, actually. The local forces fled because of fear of reprisals against them. The police were too afraid to go to work. The doctors were too afraid to work. The government ministers fled. Essentially, anything that represented any kind of authority in the country vanished. People were sort of left to fend for themselves. There was mass looting, both by the rebels and by uh, residents in the city. There were there murders, there were rapes. Um, then it could go around and uh, round up young groups of men and, you know, execute them, and, like, you know, arrest them. Um, now, the council has come a long way since then. There's been a disarmament program that's been put in place. Seneca has been informed they are no longer rebels, that there is no need for them to be rebels anymore. Um, and the capital certainly feels safe. In my time there, I didn't feel threatened, I didn't feel unsafe. Um, there are soldiers everywhere, Fomac soldiers, Farka soldiers, uh, Seneca soldiers. So there is a sense of military presence in the capital. There is a sense of government in the capital. There is still crime. Uh, something that Bangui has that's never had before are hijacking. But the disarmament program seems to be working steadily, even if slowly. Can you talk a little bit perhaps about the disarmament program? So who is being disarmed and who is overseeing it? Well, the idea is sort of just to get arms off the streets in Bangui. Um, just before Seneca moved in, you had thousands of people joining their ranks. And at the same time, you had the government providing weapons to young men in the city, or, you know, assuming that they would somehow defend the city. So you have the, the sudden proliferation of weapons in the country, which is it's still a problem, which is why you have crimes like hijackings now. The idea of the disarmament is supposed to be, you know, a lot of the Seneca forces need to be disarmed. Um, and you certainly don't see them walking around the streets with weapons in Bangui. Uh, it's sort of being overseen in both the Defence Force and FOMAC working together. And like I said, it seems to be progressing slowly. But when you speak to the police, when you speak to residents, there are still crimes happening at night with guns. So, I mean, one of the things I've heard is that the rebels are very good at hiding their weapons during the day and moving them from lot to lot and then bringing them out again at night to commit crimes and then hiding them again in storehouses and whatnot during the day. Is there any kind of worry that violence in the capital might threaten the, the sort of newly established government or is this mostly a, a case of criminality more than a security threat? It definitely seems to be more a case of criminality. Um, you don't get the impression that there's another coup 
about to happen, maybe one day in the distant future, but certainly not right now. Silica soldiers that I spoke to seem very loyal to Jatodia, and the foreign forces are, are very neutral and don't seem to be about to uh, do anything at the moment. So I wouldn't say that it's an issue of uh, a political instability in the capital. It's, it's more criminality because weapons are available. How, how far is security in the capital being provided by the sort of new Seleka government versus uh, FOMAC or other actors? Who's, who's essentially in, in charge of security at the moment? I would say FOMAC. I mean, just based on what I saw, uh, you've got FOMAC who guards the, you know, the main hotel in town, Leisure. Um, you've got the French who guard the airport. You see local forces, the FARC troops, walking around a lot as well. And the idea is sort of that Seleka is now part of FARCA. Uh, though you can, you know, tell the difference based on the uniform. The Farca troops have medals and, and some sort of insignia, whereas the Seleka just have uh, plain camouflage. Um, but I wouldn't say that Farca or Seleka is, in, is, is providing security. I would definitely say that that role goes to FOMAC and the French for, you know, the big infrastructure. And has the new government spoken much about its stated objectives for the country? There were plans, I believe, for elections in the near future. Um, but beyond that, have, have there been any moves to consolidate power or provide security beyond Bangui at the moment? Yeah, the idea is, you know, when Jatodia was sworn as the transitional president in August, that was supposed to kickstart the 18-month period towards elections, um, which he's supposedly not supposed to stand in. Um, the country is supposed to be moving towards that. In the meantime, the main objection has been disarmament in the capital, which they haven't succeeded in yet, but they say that once they've achieved that, they're going to roll it out to the provinces. The government has been very vocal in trying to get international support. At the latest uh, UN General Assembly, you had the Prime Minister, Nicholas Tiangai, um, speaking to the international community and asking them for help, asking them please not to forget that the CAR exists. Um, but in terms of general direction for the country, I think the idea is just to try to have some sort of, you know, security and some sort of stability. And what has the international response been? Is there, is there any likelihood of an, I mean, if not an intervention force, at least sort of an in, increased um, troop strength perhaps to the UN forces or any other kind of assistance? Mm -hmm. The ANU was supposed to be providing a force of 3,600 troops, and that was supposed to start in August, but they still haven't reached the target number of troops. Countries have been very slow to volunteer their troops. Um, France has sort of been leading the charge from the international community in trying to keep the CAR alive. Uh, Francois Hollande was in South Africa a few weeks ago uh, where he publicly stated that France would send more troops. The UN has just said that it's going to send more troops to the country as well to defend its interests, well, you know, protect its interests there. Um, but it doesn't seem like the AU has the funding or the capacity to actually provide the kind of force that the CAR needs right now. And what would the mandates of, of those forces be? So the hypothetical AU force and the French force, I, I mean, as a kind of broader national stabilization or simply to just see elections through and keep the capital safe? The idea that I've, I've got is certainly a broader national stabilization. I mean, there's no shortage of troops in the city. The capital is, it's, it's got enough camouflage going on. There's shortage. Uh, what the country needs is for those troops to be in the rest of the country. You know, you don't see armed Seleka rebels in the city, but the second you move out of the city, they're everywhere, walking around with weapons. You know, they're very prominent. Um, 
and it's control in those areas where the government is practically non-existent that you need forces. And can you perhaps talk a little bit more about the situation in outlying areas beyond the capital? What is the situation there at the moment? Well, what we're seeing at the moment are is the outbursts of violence that started around early September um, in Bosangoa and Buka and several other towns where these self-defense groups have risen up. They're called anti-bullet, anti-machete groups. They're supposed to be, you know, these self-defense committees who are, um, who then, you know, attack Selica. Um, But what's actually happening is they attack the Muslim sector of the community. Then Selica, because they now decide they're part of Farca, comes to the defense of the Muslim sector of the community and then attacks the Christian part of the community. And so we're seeing this almost sectarian kind of violence rising up. and hundreds killed and hundreds of thousands displaced because of it. And what is, did you talk to sort of people in this, the cities outside Bangui? Is there, I mean, it sounds like there's general hostility towards the government. Would that be correct characterization? I wouldn't say there's general hostility towards the government because it's almost like the government doesn't exist outside, outside Bangui. You know, when you, if you speak to people in South Africa during a service delivery protest, they'll tell you, you know, the government should be giving us this. Why hasn't the government given us that? But when you speak to people in the, in the towns and in the villages outside of the capital in, in the CAR, they say, you know, UNICEF should really be supplying us more of this. And why hasn't the Red Cross done that? And Doctors Without Borders really needs to bring another medical plan here. Um, the idea is just that NGOs are only people who have ever provided services to them. The government hasn't. There doesn't seem to be any hostility. It's just sort of, you know, this flux is what what has always been. You speak to civil servants and they haven't been paid. And this is like the third or fourth coup that they've gone through. They just want to keep their jobs and get paid and, and carry on with life. Traveling between the different towns, so leaving the capital to go to some of the outlying areas, how safe are the connection links between the different areas? Or, I mean, what is the security situation between the towns? Uh, it all depends which towns you're traveling to. There are two tarred roads in the country, one leading to Cameroon and one leading to Chad, and both of them turn into dirt roads shortly out of the capital. Once you're once you're in the outlying areas, it's pretty much you know it, it depends who's along the road. Between, for example, um, Kagabandora and the Tangafu, it's, it's safe. You're fine. Between the Tangafu and Buka, it's safe. You're fine. But you can't drive directly from Kagabandora to Buka because that road isn't safe. So you've got to do this you know this roundabout way of travel. Um, certain roads in that region where there has been this outbreak of violence lately are just. You know, people, people can't trade. You've got these salesmen who just can't do their business because there are armed people waiting on the roads for them to rob them. Are all the areas equally unstable? Or are there certain provinces or areas that are sort of particularly violent at the moment? Yeah, there's this one province that's particularly violent. No, it's name, you know, the name escapes me right now. But it's, it's, I mean, the main town in that area that's been badly affected is the Sangoa, where the violence left about 30,000 people in place. And all the towns in that area, it was like one after the other after the other that were suddenly hit by this violence. So that area is quite unstable at the moment. And when I traveled there, um, some of the aid workers I was traveling with were very concerned about my presence as a journalist. There was definitely tension in the town. And they were, they, there was this concern that whatever you write might um, spark another round of violence. You know, you might ask the wrong question and suddenly you have the community uh, just at, the, at each other's throats again. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you're walking in the streets in Bangui drinking a beer and it's not an issue. Um, so the, 
there are definitely hot spots. I wouldn't say it's countrywide here. So, the, I mean, the humanitarian presence sounds fairly important to sustaining some of the outside cities. Have they been? Has the humanitarian presence been much affected by the coup? Absolutely. Um, much of the uh, much of the humanitarian groups left the outlying towns and villages um, right after the coup because there was just so much violence going on. They were they were threatened. They had their cars stolen. They had equipment stolen, um, and so you had. They, they would just abandon their operations. In the one town that we visited, there were just these empty um, food stores that used to be um, World Food Organization and um, uh, UNICEF stores that were just completely empty and abandoned. Everything had been taken. Doors had been ripped off the walls, window frames, and you know, it tiles on the floor. Just anything that could be taken in bulk cash had been. Um, so the humanitarian effort was definitely affected. But those NGOs are starting to come back now to the outlying towns. Um, and they're, they're also trying to get to those areas that have been very badly affected by the latest outbreak in violence. So where were you and, and which humanitarian organizations did you see? Is it mostly the big actors, so WFP and UNICEF? Are there other smaller NGOs present that far out? Everybody is there. Well, at least in the capital, I mean, name an NGO and you'll find it in the CAR. There's, there's no shortage of, of NGO mass vehicles pulling up outside the big hotels and, uh, you know, you, you sit in the bar for 10 minutes and you're bumping to anybody from any international organization in the world. Um, in, the, in the outskirts, it's mostly the Red Cross and Doctors Without Borders that you see, uh, UNICEF as well. I should say those are your three big players outside of outside of the city, but it's not like the NGOs aren't trying to help they are. They are. It's the rest of the world that's ignoring the situation. And how much of the, has the humanitarian effort been supported in the wake of the coup, or are they kind of stretching existing budgets to try and cover the damage that was done? I think at the moment they're doing all right. I know there was a lot of immediate emergency response they were able to do because the CAR was suddenly in the news again. And, but the aid workers I spoke to are very aware of the fact that the interest is going to die down soon, and with it, the funding. So they're sort of trying to make the best they can at the moment with this renewed interest and you know this renewed conversation about the CAR. But they're very aware of the fact that that's not going to last. You um, you spoke earlier that um, there doesn't seem to be any kind of rumblings of an of another coup on the horizon. So there's no danger in the outlying areas that Seleka will lose ground to any other forces. Are they are there I mean are there other actors or armed groups that could be a threat out there? Well, when it comes to these, these antibiotica groups, these self defense committees, when I've spoken with authorities about it, you know, the defense ministry and some of the government officials, the idea is that these are not these are not community actors who've come together to defend their community, but rather they're former support, uh, rather they're supporters of the former president who are inciting violence in the outlying areas um, under the guise of being community organizations. I, I wouldn't say that Silica is about to be overpowered and have this new group you know, overtake the country, but Bavide did make clear in interviews recently that he wanted to come back to power. And the sparks of violence that we've seen in the past few months have been in the province that Bazizia was from. Uh, and his was, uh, was a government that was just, you know, brimming with nepotism. 
also it, it would be have been a region that would have benefited from his presidency. Um, and it's also you see the sort of religious violence breaking out in town where there's never been religious violence, and where instead of the groups attacking Selika directly, they're specifically attacking the Muslim group. To me, it seems too convenient um, for there to suddenly be religious violence. It seems like a political instigation using religion as an excuse to cover up for the fact that there are these former Bidiza supporters trying to rouse up support amongst the majority Christian population. And the Seleka, the main sort of armed forces of the Seleka and the National Army, now, where are they located? Are they centered mostly in the capital or have they distributed them to the provinces much? Mm. Most of them are in the capital, but you see you see groups of Seleka in every town you pass through. Um, there, you know, you've got these, these checkpoints at the entrance and exit of, of every little village and town that you drive through, and uh, it's Seleka manning all of those, armed Seleka manning all of those. Were there, are there any indications, or did you hear stories of Seleka rebels um, committing crimes against local communities, uh, harassment, violence, that sort of thing, after the coup, or have have they mostly been a force for order? Oh no, absolutely, that they've committed crimes against communities. They have weapons, and what they don't have is, is salaries. Um, you know, nobody has at the moment. Every government official you speak to, every civil servant doesn't have, you haven't been paid in months. Um, so, you know, you have a gun, you're in a salary, what do you do with it? You, you rob and you steal. Um, and that's pretty, that's, that's what they're doing. It, it hasn't stopped. The looting hasn't stopped. And looking forward to the security and political situation in the next, say, three to six months, what do you think will be key themes influencing what happens next? I think what really matters is getting some kind of international force off the ground to get them out into the provinces. Um, but I've, I've, you know, I've spoken with some people about it. It's, it's really not about what happens over the next three to six months, and it's not about ensuring a level of stability in the country in the short term. The reason why this country has had coup after coup after coup is because a long-term sense of stability has never been created. And I think that that's, you know, coming up with a solution of how to address that is so much more important than just, you know, what do we need to do right now? Because, you know, you speak to the humanitarian organizations, so many of them are so focused on fixing a crisis, the crisis that they're facing right now, that, you know, you don't even have a chance to start thinking about the long-term projects that would make uh, democracy possible in the country.